have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. This morning we'll begin our Communion Day series. Over the last several years, we've gone through several different series, and all of them focused on the kingship of Christ. And so the first we looked at the king's table, um, that went throughout that year. Then we looked at uh, the king's death. Uh, This last year, we looked at the king's speech and focused on some of the letters in the book of Revelation, the very beginning of the book. Uh, this year, I wanted to do something just a little bit different. I, I, um, I don't know about you, but um, maybe you're in a place where there's, uh, in your life right now, where you just need encouragement. And um, I, I've felt that in the last couple of months. And, uh, and so as I began to think about what it is that we would go through on Communion Days together in 2016, uh, I began to think and pray about uh, Jesus, but the way that Jesus looks at his people. And so I want us to focus our attention this year on the king's compassion. And so we're going to be looking at several different passages of scripture throughout the gospels and, uh, and highlighting those areas where we see Jesus's compassion on full display for his people. And so I want us to begin that series this morning. And so it's Matthew chapter nine. We're going to be reading Verses 35 down to verse 38. When you find that, if you would stand with me as we honor the Lord as we read from his word together. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Matthew writes, and Jesus, when he, and went, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to us through this passage today. We pray that uh, our hearts would be emboldened to live for Jesus. We pray, Father, that we would have a clearer vision of Jesus as a result of looking at this text this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage our hearts that you would motivate us, that you would give us passion, the same kind of passion that Jesus has for others. Lord, let that be our passion as well as we seek to emulate him and serve him. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the book of Matthew itself, uh, Matthew's gospel is focusing um, quite a bit on the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And so we see this all throughout the book of Matthew. As we look at this particular passage, this passage is kind of like a summary statement of the things that have taken place, what it is that Jesus is about, what he's doing. So the first thing that we notice is Jesus' mission here that's highlighted in verse 35. Look back at verse 35. He says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease 
and every affliction. So when we come to chapter 9, we have to kind of know where we're at in the context of what's going on in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Here in this passage, Jesus has just come down in chapter 7 from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the the great sermon that Jesus preaches from chapter 5 to chapter 7, where he begins to explain to them, the people, what it would look like for the kingdom of God to be here on earth. What would it look like to really be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? And so he paints that picture for them in chapters 5 to chapter 7. And then as he comes down from the mountain, it's like everything begins to happen. Just almost like in Mark's gospel, Mark, he uses that word immediately all the time. Immediately this happened. Immediately this happened. And there was healing and there was this. And there was walking on water and all kinds of things. Well, this is what is happening in Matthew's gospel. Directly after Jesus comes down from the mountain, we have all of these stories that begin to highlight who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing here on this earth. So from the very beginning, he comes down from the mountain, he heals a leprous man. Uh, Lepers were people that should not be touched because they were unclean. And if you were actually to touch a leper, then you would be unclean, unfit then to go in and and worship God at the temple. But Jesus, he touches this man, he heals him. Uh, He doesn't become unclean, but his cleanliness, his righteousness is then extended to the leper and the leper becomes clean. Then we have the story of the centurion's servant. Remember the centurion who, who uh, he comes to Jesus and he tells him about his servant and the condition of his servant. And Jesus says, well, I will go with you. And the centurion says, no, please, if you say it, it will happen. I know what it's like to be under authority. And I know that whatever you say will take place. And Jesus looks at this man who's a Roman and he looks at this man and he marvels because of the man's faith. And the, the centurion servant is, is healed. And then Peter's mother-in-law, she's laying sick and Jesus heals her. And then we move on to another story, and and Jesus, he calms a storm. Not only is Jesus able to to heal sickness, but Jesus is able to control the elements. I mean, this this is incredible. Directly after that story, Jesus exercises two demons. And, and, And it's just, it's continually showing that he is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the king of the world. After this, he heals a paralytic. Then he brings a young girl back to life. And then he heals a blind person and a mute person. So all of these stories are just jammed together really closely to accentuate who is this Jesus. We see from all of this Jesus' model of ministry, don't we? He would travel with his disciples. They would go to various cities, various towns, and he would go into these towns and he would begin preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is to say he would go in, he would begin preaching, repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then as a sign of the strength and power of that kingdom, he would be then healing various diseases, regardless of what they were. Now, when we think about ministry here, Jesus' ministry. There's a lot of people talking about what ministry should look like today. People all over the place are talking about it, arguing about it in many cases. Some people would say that, that to truly do ministry like Jesus did ministry means that you should really focus on the physical needs of people. Focus on the physical needs. So minister the things that they need. They need food. They need water. They need clothing. These are the things that we should be, we should be focused on. Helping people get out of poverty and all of these different kinds of things. And this is kind of what we have been calling social gospel ministry. 
So it's all focused on social ministry, trying to help those who are in need. Now, there's a flip side to that. Others would argue that that really ministry should just be about telling the gospel. So speaking the words of the gospel to people so that they can hear the message and respond in faith and be saved. That is by far the most important. And all of the other things can be just left to the side as long as you're doing that. And that sometimes leads us to things like confrontational evangelism. Not confrontation like you deck somebody or hit somebody with your KJV, right? Not, not that kind of confrontation. But maybe you're knocking on doors, right? You're going to people, you're handing out tracts at Walmart, you're, you're confronting them with a story or with a message. And whether they take it or leave it doesn't really matter because you have done your job. Now, both of these are kind of like two polar extremes of what ministry ought to look like. The truth is, Jesus never really separated ministry into those kind of categories. He never, he never separated taking care of people's physical needs with taking care of their spiritual needs. In fact, he feeds the 5,000 and preaches to them at the same time. He's taking care of that which is physical and that which is spiritual. And so if we're going to be a part of the kind of ministry that Jesus is doing, we have to focus on the person, not simply the soul or the, the, the knowledge that they have or, or whatever it might be, or not simply just focusing on the things that they don't have, whether it's food or clothing or whatever it might be. If we want to reach people, we have to first, we have to meet them where they are. There are people all around us that are helpless, that are hurting, that are hopeless. I mean, we can't expect, we can't, we can't expect someone who is dying of thirst to want to hear about the water of life until we first help quench their physical thirst. We have to meet them where they are in order for them to hear, in order for them to listen. Holistic ministry is gospel ministry. Now, don't hear me saying that social ministry is the way to go. Or don't hear me saying that the only thing we have to do is hand a tract to someone and our job is finished. Both message and Social ministry are both critically important to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holistic ministry is gospel ministry. When we look at what we're doing as a church or what we're doing as individuals, if Henry Blackaby once said, you you look and see what God is doing and then you go join him there, right? It's the same kind of concept. What, What is Jesus doing in the world? Jesus is in the process, because of his kingship, he is reversing the curse. He's rolling back the curse, the curse that brings about poverty, the curse that brings about agony and pain and hurt and death. All of these problems that we face here in our own culture, in our own world. And Jesus is in the process of pulling those things back and the dawn of his kingdom is coming. And so as we join Jesus in his ministry We join him not only proclaiming the message of a gospel, of a a good news that a king has come, that he has salvation ready for his people, that there is forgiveness found in his name, but we also do it stretching out and helping those who are hurting, helping those who are suffering, caring for those. So it's holistic ministry that we here find in Jesus in his ministry in the gospels. Now, Jesus saw people People that were in need both spiritually and physically, and he desired to help them. Now, the question then is why? Why is it that Jesus wanted to help them? 
Well, it seems like it's very obvious, doesn't it? Jesus loved them. That's the reason. We, we find that in verse 36. Look, Jesus' heart. Verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is a very important detail for us to reflect upon today. This text here, this verse, verse 36, has three really important phrases that I really want you to remember. The first is this. Jesus saw the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. Now, at first, that may not seem life-changing to you, that Jesus saw the crowds. Remember, this is a summary statement. This is telling What is Jesus doing? What is happening in his ministry up until this point? And it says that Jesus looked out and he saw the crowds. He he is observing people. He's people watching. Some of you like to do that at the mall. He's observing them. He's looking upon them. He knew what they were experiencing. He knew that they had pain. He knew that there was suffering. He knew that there were challenges He looked out and he saw their hearts. He saw the idols that they were worshiping instead of God. He he saw their desperation to find hope, to find love, to find security. When Jesus looked out, they, they weren't just a nameless crowd. They were people. They were individuals. They weren't just numbers to him. He knew all of them. And he looked upon them. Friends, our Savior's heart is wide open towards you. Wide open. He knows every single one of us here this morning, intimately. There's not a day that goes by that he doesn't look out and observe you and see you. He he knows what makes you tick. He knows what causes you the greatest frustrations in your life. He knows your temptations and your struggles. He knows what you aspire to. He knows what your dreams are. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. He sees you. But what I find most amazing is what we find in the second phrase. Jesus sees us. But then Matthew says that Jesus has compassion. Jesus had compassion for the crowds. Now, the word compassion is actually a very interesting term. It's actually an idiomatic expression that could refer in, in ancient times to, uh, to bowels or kidneys. If you ever wonder, like, seat of emotions kind of, of, of wording is really strange. Um, most of the time, we say things like, I love you with my heart, right? And there was actually a whole spiel. One of my, when I was a kid, one of my favorite comedians was Mark Lowry. And he has this whole spiel about the heart. He's talking about watching the Discovery Channel, watching open heart surgery, and, and just how strange it is. Because our culture, the seat of emotions, we use the word heart to kind of explain that. In other places, it's not the same. Other places, it's different. Some, some cultures, the seat of the emotions resides in the kidneys, which is strange, right? I mean, he, he talks about this, and he, he says... You know, there's somewhere in the world there is this guy and he's looking lovingly into his girl's eyes and they're holding hands and he looks at her and he says, sweetheart, I love you. 
with both of my kidneys. And how awkward that is, right? You know, or, or some places like the liver. So, you know, sweetheart, you, you make my liver quiver. You know, he, he has all of these different things he goes on to. But it's strange when you begin to think about it. The heart, right? Because, I mean, I love you with my blood pumping muscle. That's what I love you with. That's not what we mean, you know. But in other cultures, it's, it's different. And, and, and in this culture, it was kind of this idea of compassion residing within the bowels itself, the center of the being, the person. And so when Jesus, and it says that Jesus had compassion for them, he's saying that this is something deep within. From, from the very core of who he is, this compassion begins to come out. And he just, he, he feels so strongly about his love and his affection for these people that he's looking upon. So Jesus, he looks upon his people, warts and all, but he doesn't scoff at them. He, he doesn't mock them. He, he doesn't grow tired or weary of them. Instead, what does he feel? Compassion. Compassion. Affection. And for, Isn't that good news to you? That when Jesus looks upon your life, looks upon all of the mistakes that you have made, looks upon the ineffectiveness that you sometimes feel like is just plaguing you every year, and he looks at you, looks at everything that is going on in your life, he, he doesn't look at you and he's just not disappointed. I'm very tempted right now. Amen. I think we close the service right now. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've wanted to do that for many, many weeks. So, anyway, let's get back on track. I've got legs on me. Okay. All right. When Jesus looks upon your life, he's not disappointed. He doesn't look at you with this, this stare of disappointment or, or, or just an annoyance about the things that you have done or not done. He doesn't look at you with anger. But what does he feel? He feels compassion for you. His heart is warm toward us. When I was a kid, I remember I was like maybe six, seven years old. I, um, I went to my mom and like any six or seven year old, I wanted a banana to eat or something. She gives me, she gives me a banana and as I went back outside to play with my brother, I began to peel the banana. You know, she'd started it for me because I'm little. And so I'm peeling it down. But what I didn't realize is that on the inside, you know how sometimes bananas can break? And so I'm, I'm taking the banana peel down. And as I'm walking outside, the banana is broken at the very bottom. And it just falls onto the ground. And like any six or seven year old, I'm just like, come on, you know? So I pick up my banana. I'm just a little frustrated. And I walk back in to show it to my mom so maybe she can give me another one. I walk back in, and I have the two pieces of the banana, and I look at my mom, and she just begins to cry. I mean, boo-hooing, like, <gasps> I, like uncontrollable. And she walks over to me and gives me this big hug, and, is holding, and she's like, it's going to be okay. It's gonna be. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> it's a banana, Mom. Just give me another one. She's hugging me, and I'm just like, kind of, you know, like you're like, okay, my parents are crazy. 
And she says to me, when I was a little girl, I dropped my banana in the dirt, but there was no more bananas. I was like, okay, do we have any more bananas? Because I feel like maybe you could just give me one. And so she gives me a banana, and I go back outside to play to tell my brother of this strange story. But what was happening there is compassion, right? Why? Because she knew what I was feeling. It's kind of like the opposite of the guy that you, you see at Disney who has his little kid. And I'm not telling this from experience, but I saw something maybe like this. At Disney, this poor little girl dressed up in a princess I mean, she looked beautiful, a little princess with a tiara, and I mean, just gorgeous and happy. And then that balloon that she was holding accidentally got away from her, and it just, you know, went up, up into the stratosphere. And her, and her daddy, she's saying, Dad, I want my balloon. He's like, sweetheart, you should have tied it on your wrist better. <laughs> she's like seven, man. She probably doesn't even know how to make knots yet, right? I mean, she, and there's no compassion there. Maybe because when he was a kid, nobody ever gave him a balloon. Maybe that's his problem. I don't know. The, 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 what we find here, though, is that Jesus, he understands what you're going through. So when it seems like in your life you've dropped your banana in the dirt, Jesus knows. Jesus sees you. Jesus cares about what's going on. His heart is open wide towards you. He loves you. He sees the sadness that's in your heart. He sees the loss. He he understands the feelings of chaos. And he has compassion upon you. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. It says when he looked out and he saw the people, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. And helpless. Literally, they were torn and thrown down. This should remind us of a passage of scripture in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord is prophesying against the religious leaders of Israel. The, the leaders had forsaken their duty to spiritually guide and care for the people of Israel, and instead they become selfish. They were taking the things that didn't belong to them. They were living for themselves and not for their people. And it was, as a result, the people were like sheep without a shepherd, it says. I just want to read that passage together. Hopefully we can have it on the back because it's a little bit lengthy. Verses 1 through 16, chapter 34 of Ezekiel. I feel like if you hear these words, you'll see how closely connected they are to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 9. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherd, should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek after them. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on high And on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Notice what the Lord observes in the text. The shepherds, the religious leaders, had fed themselves and not the sheep. They had slaughtered the sheep instead of caring for them. They had, they had lost the sheep instead of protecting them. In fact, the shepherds themselves, in that last verse, verse 10, the shepherds became the wolves. But that's not the way that Jesus is a shepherd. What does it say about the Lord? What is he going to do? The Lord will search for his sheep. So if you feel like you're just lost, you're all by yourself, the Lord searches for his. And there's promise there. The Lord will rescue his sheep from all the places that they've been scattered. He he will bring them to a good land. He will feed them with good pasture. He will give them rest and security. Look back at verse 16 there in chapter 34. He says, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Friends, Jesus sees us in our distress. He has compassion upon us, and he comes to us as a loving shepherd, carefully guiding us back to good pasture, to rest, to a hopeful future. See, Jesus sees the billions of people around the world. He looks out at the sea of people there in the land of Israel. He knows that he's not going to be able to personally minister to every single living person at that time, in his day or in today. And so he calls upon his own people, his church, his followers, to go and be his 
hands and his feet and his mouth to care and love and preach the gospel to the people around the world. Look at the last section there. Jesus' instruction. Verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's almost as if Jesus, he he visualizes this enormous field. And the field itself is filled with, with wheat that is ripe, that is ready to be harvested. Only there's a problem. And the problem is there's not enough people working in the field to actually bring it all in before it dies. So how's it going to be harvested? How's it going to be brought in? Well, the only way to do it is to send more workers into the field, right? Jesus, as he's looking out into the world, he sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees billions of people that are ripe for the harvest of the gospel. They're living lives that are are desperate for truth, desperate for hope, but they have none. Friends, they don't even really know where to look. There's not enough workers going out into the field. There are cities that are ten times the size of Louisville, Kentucky, that don't have a gospel witness. Well, we have roughly a quarter of a million people in Louisville, something like that. Millions of people living in darkness every single day. They will be born. They will grow up. They will get married. They will have families. They will have grandchildren. And they will die without ever having access to the book that you're holding in your hand. To the gospel that there drives you and motivates you and saves. So as we look at this world of lostness, Jesus gives us instruction this morning. What does he say? Does he say, go into the world? Go into the harvest? Other places he does, I guess, Matthew 28. He says, for us to go. But not here. Why? What does he say? He says, pray. Pray. Friends, we are called to pray for the nations. Not just regularly. Not just systematically, but he says earnestly. With passion. With fervence. With a shared compassion and affection that Jesus has for the crowds and for us. We're to share that same desire, that same love that he has for those who are yet to be harvested. Amazing things happen when you begin to pray. You begin to pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. Begin to pray and ask that God would sovereignly direct people, that he would call people from his church and that he would send them into the fields. 
most amazing things begin to happen. Not just in the people around you that you think you're praying for, but in your own heart, your own life. Begin to think, what is really the most important here right now? What is the most critical thing that I could be a part of in my life in 2016, in 2017, in 2018? Begin to think, maybe the things that I have chosen for myself or the comfortable way in which I'm living, everything seems normal to me. Too many of us are, are, are sitting in comfortable jobs, making comfortable amounts of money, living in cultures that are normal to us, using a language that we learned at birth and shortly after. Friends, are you praying for the nations? Are you praying that God would change your heart toward the nations? That maybe God would take and send you to the nations or send your family or send your children to the nations? One of the most amazing stories in missions history is that of Hudson Taylor. It's one of the reasons we named our second son Hudson. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, developed the Chinese inland mission. And his work in China during the 19th century is one of the reasons why the Chinese church has grown so incredibly in China. His influence and Hudson Taylor's parents, before he was born, were praying and asking the Lord that they would give, give them a son. And praying and asking, very much like, a, uh, you know, uh, like Samuel's birth, praying and asking that the Lord would give them a son. And if they were given a son by the Lord, then they would give that son back to the Lord. And they would send him to China to be a missionary. So they prayed and prayed. Sure enough, the Lord gave them a son. And he was born, and they continued to pray that God would call him to missions. You know what they did? They helped him at a very young age to begin to love China. They put maps of China in his room. They helped him see and read things that were about Chinese culture so that he would begin to have an affection and a passion for those people. At a very young age, Hudson Taylor accepted the call from the Lord to go to China. To be a missionary. Friends, what if, what if we parented that way? It wasn't about the money that our kids made or the education that they might make or have, but it was getting them to where God wanted them to go. To go to the nations. To live a life that is fully devoted, whether it's here or abroad, focused on that mission of Christ and the gospel. This morning as we celebrate the Lord's table, we are called to remember. We're thinking about the compassion of Christ. He has compassion for the crowds who are like sheep without a shepherd. We remember this morning what it is that Christ has done for us. We desire that those around the world would be able to experience the love and the forgiveness of Christ has extended to us through his compassionate call. Let's pray together, and then we will continue.
with the table. Father, this morning we ask that you would help us. It's, it's a hard thing to pray, Father. It's a humbling thing to pray that you would send workers, more workers into the harvest fields. Because as soon as we pray that, Lord, we are sovereignly asking for you to change people, to change us. And to be quite honest, Lord, we, many of us don't want that change to happen. We don't want to pray that that would happen in the lives of our children, to go to hard places, to places that are threatening and dangerous for the sake of the gospel. We don't want to pray that because... We don't want to go to places that are hard and threatening. Places that may take our lives from us for the sake of the gospel. But nevertheless, Lord, you call us, you instruct us to pray. And so we do. We, we ask, Lord, as we look out at the billions of people, the sea of lostness around the world, People cloaked in darkness. People unable to hear the story of Christ. Father, we pray that you would send workers into the field. That you give us renewed passion and a vision for missions. That you give us compassion for the crowds. Just as you have, Lord Jesus. Father, as we take this communion meal together as a church, remind us that the gospel is not just for us, that the bread and the cup are not simply ours to hold upon, but Lord, your desire is that we take them to the nation. You, Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. And it is only because of your blood that we can have forgiveness of sins. Lord, give us a passion for the harvest fields. We pray this in Jesus' name.